Hello and welcome to Inscribing Inclusion. I'm your host, Jocelyn Armstrong. Thank you for joining me for the first episode of 2024. I want to speak briefly about the upcoming holiday here in the United States where we will be honoring the memory of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. At the time of this recording, we're about a week away from the national holiday. And I wanted to remind folks of who Dr. King was and also help us remember the journey that it took for a holiday to be named after him, as well as highlights and pieces from his life that we can use to inform the way we approach things happening even today. The first MLK holiday was celebrated about 40 years ago. For context, I am 44. So that means that in my lifetime was when this was signed um, into law. At the time, it was President Ronald Reagan. He signed the bill in November of 1983 that would designate the third Monday in January as a federal holiday observing Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Dr. King's actual birthday is in January, and this year in 2024, the holiday will be celebrated on his actual birthday. The interesting thing, though, about getting the King holiday was that it took 15 years And a lot of persistent work by civil rights activists for the federal government to even approve the holiday. And even though the federal government declared it a holiday, not all 50 states recognized the King holiday. That came 17 years after the bill was signed by then President Reagan. And so it's very interesting that it took so long, especially when you consider now the way the King holiday is celebrated and the way that people really enjoy quoting Dr. King, both in January when we're honoring his birth and his life and his, and his legacy, but also just kind of throughout the year. People really love to sort of pick sections of Dr. King's speeches and sermons and share them. They like sharing photos of Dr. King um, marching and and standing behind lecterns and pulpits. And people often like to hold him up as an example of who and how people should behave in workspaces and community spaces, um, worship houses, and on and on. I happen to like digging into the backstory and learning more about Dr. King as often as the opportunity presents itself. I make it a point to remind myself that Dr. King didn't just suddenly show up at the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom that 
A. Philip Randolph organized in the 1960s. Dr. King was a brilliant mind who started his college journey as a 15-year-old. He had advanced degrees after he finished his schooling at Morehouse. He was a son, a husband, a father, a preacher. One of my favorite books that I happened to purchase when I took a trip to Washington, D.C., it's called A Knock at Midnight. And it's a collection of sermons from Dr. King. And I absolutely love that book because the way that it's transcribed, it's it's a transcription of, of audio of his sermons. And in addition to the lessons and the, the sharing of Dr. King, there's notes where the transcriptionist is saying, you know, people were murmuring amen, or, you know, there was a round of applause, or there was some sort of interaction with the congregation. Beyond that book, A Knock at Midnight, my favorite, absolutely favorite writing by Dr. King was the letter from a Birmingham jail. In April 1963, Dr. King found himself incarcerated in a city jail. And it had something to do with work that they were doing in Birmingham, of course, um, civil rights work that was happening in Alabama at the time. And I really enjoy that particular writing one, because it's it's interesting to me that it is quoted often, particularly in my profession as an attorney. There's a line in there that people like to quote about injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. But beyond that, when you read the letter from a Birmingham jail, Dr. King is laying out specific examples of how people are interrelated, how communities are connected. He calls it an inescapable network of mutuality and that we all are tied in a single garment of destiny. I think it's important that we as humans walking this earth remember that while A lot of the things that we do don't directly impact others, right? There are still ways that our humanity is interconnected. Um, How we drive our cars and use fuel and how we utilize the resources that are available to us on earth, like land and water and food. Our consumption of resources can impact sometimes the lives of other people, right? The decisions that we make within state houses and courtrooms and other government entities and corporations, again, while we may not directly see the people or interact with the people that our decisions impact, many of us sit in places that our decisions have long reach and wide impact. And so when I read that, 
letter from a Birmingham jail. And I read that line about the network of mutuality and being tied in a single garment of destiny. It makes me pause a little bit and think about what I'm doing and how I'm living my life and the decisions that I'm making, what that means for the people that I'm in community with, the people that I'm in relationship with, like my friends and family. But also, am I doing a thing or making a decision that may somehow impact someone else that I never see? Sometimes that's a great thing. We can make a decision or do a thing and it benefits someone that we might never meet. You know, if we're donating um, funds, for instance, to, to a cause or to an organization, we might not likely ever meet those people, but we still know that what we're doing is helping someone way down the line. And I'm sharing my favorite MLK thing because I want you to think about as you hear people quoting Dr. King, as you see people throwing up their posts on social media, um, you might yourself be preparing to put up a post on social media over the weekend and into Monday. I want you to make sure that the quote that you're sharing, that you've taken the time to listen to or read that quote in context, in context of the sermon, in context of the speech, in context of the writing of the book, I urge you not to just lift one of Dr. King's quotes and, you know, do a cute little Canva sort of post and put it up all over your Instagram. I hope you spend whatever time, however long it takes you to read and really read what he was saying and and why that quote is important. The other thing I, I urge you to do is to consider the historical context. What was happening at the time of that speech, of that writing? And are those things or similar things still happening in current day? I also hope that you find pictures and videos of Dr. King that are not in black and white. And the reason I say that is because the 1960s were not that long ago and they absolutely had color cameras and video cameras, color television, right? But there is this thing that has been pointed out most interestingly to me um, by Dr. King's daughter, the Reverend Dr. Bernice King, who um, runs the King Center in Atlanta. And she often notes on social media and other spaces that the pictures being posted of her father, the pictures being posted of her parents and their contemporaries should not always be in black and white because it, it gives the impression in people's minds that it was much longer ago than it actually was. And while you're reading about Dr. King and looking for images and videos of Dr. King, I want you to think about the things that he stood for. Everyone knows the I have a dream speech. Everyone knows the parts about his dream of little children, regardless of their races, being able to sit together and join hands and people of all backgrounds being able to come together. That is all awesome. But I also want you to consider the fact that 
Dr. King was a man who stood for nonviolence. So much so that like he and his colleagues would be beaten and dragged away by the police. They had bottles and bricks and billy clubs upside their heads on the Edmund Pettus Bridge on Bloody Sunday, marching for voting rights. And they did not fight back. Also, Dr. King was against war because of his nonviolent stance. Uh, Prior to his passing, he spoke out about the Vietnam War that America was engaged in for a number of decades. Um, Dr. King was about wage equity and about people being paid fairly for their work. That's why he was in Memphis. That's why he'd been to Chicago. These are places where he went and he talked to and worked alongside and advocated on behalf of the workers in those cities, particularly black workers who were not being paid a fair wage. That was the beginning of the Poor People's Campaign. And we now see a current iteration of that that's led by um, Reverend William Barber in North Carolina and Liz Theo Harris. They have picked up the mantle of the Poor People's Campaign and they continue to fight for things like wage equity and fair pay for people um, throughout the United States. So beyond the one speech that you might know, beyond the posters that might've been in your school rooms, beyond the fans that you might see in your church house, I want you to think about the other things that Dr. King stood for, the other things that he pushed for when he was helping organize people to boycott, helping organize people to go to their government officials and push for voting rights and all of these things. It wasn't just, I want us all to be able to sit in the same place and smile and sing songs and be happy. He had a dream, but his dream was definitely larger than what we heard in that one speech on, on the Washington, on the Washington mall. And I know that you probably have time to do this. And I don't think you should just do it on MLK day. You should think about Dr. King and other civil rights leaders, hopefully throughout the year and um, other folks who have made it their business and their life's work to advocate for better living, working education conditions for all people. But certainly on MLK day, because you will likely not have to work that day. It's a wonderful time to spend the time to just think about what it is that you can do in your space, in your immediate spheres of influence, your workplace, your home, your neighborhood, your your house of worship. What can you do in your immediate space to do something that will make that space better for all those folks involved. I would like to offer 
that as you're learning about Dr. King, remember the people who worked alongside him. Remember the people who informed his learning about nonviolence. Remember the people who planned the marches and who did the work. We see Dr. King at the front and center all the time, but there were a number of people and I'm going to say their names to you and I'm going to list their names in the show notes, but I hope that you take some time um, to learn about these folks and the impact that they had both on Dr. King and the broader civil rights movement. People like his wife, Coretta Scott King, Bayard Rustin, who was marginalized within the civil rights community because he was an openly gay black man at that time. If you have an opportunity, there's a documentary about Bayard Rustin available on Netflix. Um, John Lewis, who was a very, very young man, a teenager when he became involved in the civil rights movement, who eventually became a, became a congressman and who honestly, until he died, made it his life's work to make sure that folks had access to the ballot box, make sure that people had fair pay and making sure that people had good living conditions. Um, I had the opportunity one time in my life to briefly interact with John Lewis. He spoke to a training class that I was a part of and I got to shake his hand. And even at that point in his life, he was of advanced age, but there was a fire in him that made me want to like run out of the room and go conquer the world, right? Um, But beyond those three who we probably know a lot about, there's people like Roy Wilkins, Joanne Robinson, Howard Thurman, Vernon Johns. Thurman and Johns were, for my friends who are theologians and professors in that space, very well-known theological scholars. There was Fred Shuttlesworth, Benjamin Mays, Hosea Williams, Ella Baker, Dorothy Cotton, Mordecai Johnson, and Ralph Abernathy. These were people who worked with King, who informed his understanding of the world. And I think that it would do us all good to learn more about them and how they impacted the world through their work, through their writing, through their sharing, through sermons and speeches and every little thing that they did to contribute to the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s, but also how some of us approach life and the way that we learn things even now. So as I said, I didn't want to be before you long. I just wanted you to start thinking about what you would do with the Dr. King holiday, how you would spend the Dr. King holiday and what sort of things you would start your year off with learning. So for me, I will absolutely be spending part of the King holiday watching the celebration from the King Center in Atlanta. I will also spend part of the King holiday 
um, watching the movie about Bayard Rustin. And I'm certainly going to spend a little bit of time over the King holiday weekend, maybe not exactly on Monday, but over that weekend reading um, one of the sermons or one of the speeches that Dr. King gave during his lifetime. So with that, I'm going to leave you with a very long but favorite quote for one last thing. And now it's time for one last thing. Today's quote is indeed one of my absolute favorites from Dr. King's letter from a Birmingham jail that was written in April 1963. This quote is a favorite of mine because as I mentioned during the main part of the episode, it's often quoted in pieces, but in context, it definitely lands differently. Dr. King wrote, Moreover, I am cognizant of the interrelatedness of all communities and states. I cannot sit idly by in Atlanta and not be concerned about what happens in Birmingham. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Never again can we afford to live with the narrow, provincial, outside agitator idea. Anyone who lives inside the United States can never be considered an outsider anywhere within its bounds. 